Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This month, we're sharing with you our August Community Connections, where we get a chance to read some of the stories and questions you've sent into us, and we so appreciate you all connecting with us this way. Just as a reminder before we begin, if you ever want to send in a question or a story, you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on our Facebook page where you can find us at Enlightened Empaths. So sit back and join us around our virtual coffee table. Denise, would you like to start us off? I'd love to. Uh, Our first comment is, thank you for the show you did on past life regressions. I have a really hard time meditating and shutting off my mind. Welcome to the club. (laughs) Have you ever regressed someone who can't be regressed? Any advice would be appreciated. I think it really depends on how open-minded someone is when they go into a regression. It's basically a relaxation and then going into a semi-hypnotic state, almost like a trance state, so that you're open, you've lowered your resistance to being open to the suggestion. I think it's what I love about the style of this work that I'm doing right now is it's very unique to the individual. I had a friend who I, I adore and she is very linear, very practical, doesn't have a whole lot of woo. And she had one of the best experiences I've, I've had with, with sharing these regressions with people. What's funny though, is I went into it thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way she's ever going to be able to regress. So actually the only person that I've done this with who hasn't been able to stay in the regression, who, who was able to go into the hypnotic trance state, but wasn't able to stay in the regression was a woman that I took the class with which surprised me because you would think if you'd taken the class, you'd be more open to it. But the the key seems to be being open-minded to what comes through and not going in with preconceived expectations. I think it matters the regressionist you choose as well. You know, I remember I went to one and she was lovely and very well-trained, but it was a 4.30 appointment. So I think I was the last one of her day and you could tell Mm -hmm. she was tired and she was kind of like, you know, basically lay down, close your eyes, relax and tell me about your past lives. Like it was very quick. Whereas I feel like if someone went to you, you already have a soothing presence and a very calming voice. And I know you and the way you work and you set it up so that people feel comfortable enough to surrender expectations. Well, thank you. And that's a really good point because I've, I've done regressions with other people. And for me personally, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm very private and don't share easily, is if I don't feel comfortable with someone or trust someone, it's really hard to go into that state. So it, finding someone that holds space for you is, is very, very important with this work. Yeah, I agree. Which is why it's great because you do it over Zoom and the phone too. Yeah, I do it over Zoom, yes. And that can help some people who are nervous about this because they're in the comfort of their own home. Right. Which I think is really good. Yes. Okay, our next question says, good morning. I hope you all are well today. I recently received my second Reiki treatment during which I saw so many beautiful colors. After the session, my practitioner asked me how I felt and if I experienced anything. So I told her about the colors. She looked a little shocked and said she'd seen the same colors. I wondered what the meaning behind this might be. I'd like to develop my gifts as much as I can, but I'm not really sure what happened there and if it's something I should look into more. 
She also said, I had one huge angel that showed up for me and four other helpers who assisted her in a practice called net of light. How can I know who these helpers are? I regularly see colors and faces and other images in my meditations. And I feel like I'm on the brink of understanding something. What? I don't know. Any advice is greatly appreciated. Thank you for the wonderful work you do. Okay, well, I think that's a great question. And there's a couple of things I want to say. Uh, First of all, my dog is sitting on my lap. So if anyone hears a weird snoring in the background, (laughs) that that would be my Lily. She needs to wake up. Anyway, um, when you are passing on Reiki attunements as the teacher, you are aligning your energy you are linking your energy with your students. And so what I have found when I've taught Reiki is often we will all see very similar things. The most specific thing that ever happened to me was when I was a Reiki student and I saw um, like a triangle of light and I saw people sitting in this triangle of light and beckoning me inside. And I think almost all the other students, there weren't many of us, maybe five of us in that class, saw a triangular shaped form with people beckoning us inside. That was the most specific one that's happened to me. But as a teacher myself, I've had students say they've seen similar lights or similar rainbows, or um, in some classes, students thought I turned on an overhead light because they saw such a bright light. So I think all of that is just an example of when you are attuned to Reiki, you're elevating your vibrations to a new level and you're linking in with your teacher and your other classmates. So it's common for you all to see the same things. This happens to me when I'm giving Reiki to someone, often we'll see the same images, which I just find fascinating. What I would recommend if possible is that this listener join a Reiki circle or create a Reiki circle if there isn't one in your town. Usually, if you have a full-time Reiki teacher in your town, he or she will have a free Reiki circle about once a month or once every other month where students can come and continue to practice. However, also our Unity Church in town has a Reiki share. So you might want to check that out if you have those resources in your town. Again, if you don't, consider starting your own If you have Reiki too, as she just said she does, that means you've learned distant Reiki. So even if you live out in an isolated location where that's just not possible, you could always start an online uh, Zoom Reiki share, which is going to be just as impactful. I'd also recommend that you try reading Hands of Light by Barbara Brennan. It's a wonderful textbook primer on working with healing energy. There's a great book for learning more about these four helpers called How to Meet and Work with Spirit Guides by Ted Andrews. Uh, Deb and I on my other podcast, Psychic Teachers, we just uh, aired in August two shows, uh, part one and part two, on how to meet and work with your guides. So I'd recommend you check that out. And also on my website, um, under the store tab, I have a guided meditation that teaches you how to meet and connect with your spirit guide. So I hope one or all of those resources will help you. Oh, that's fantastic. You really explained that beautifully because it, and it is, isn't it fascinating how even with a Reiki session or any kind of energy work, or even during a reading, when you're able to connect with that same experience, I love that. It's, it's magical. 
It's just mm-hmm. magical. I, when I teach Reiki in person, which I haven't done in what feels like a lifetime because of all this shutdown stuff we're going through, but I have this energy ball. Have you ever seen them, Denise? You can get them at like little science kids stores. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And I don't know how, I mean, I guess I could explain how the energy ball works because I read it, but I don't, I don't really understand. I just think it's really cool, but I'll have students stand in a circle and I'll have my finger on one energy ball on one side of the energy ball. And I'll have the person standing next to me, have their finger on the other side, but then I'll have, and you know, when you do that, it lights up and goes, but then I'll have a student on the other side of the circle break their hand holding from the, from the rest of the group and the energy ball stops vibrating and lighting up. And it's just a great visual for anyone out there who is teaching Reiki or meditation or any type of healing. That's a great exercise to do to show people how energy links all of us. Well, that's incredible. And really cool thing to do with kids as well. If you were trying to explain energy to them. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, our next one. Hello, ladies. I'm a big fan of your podcast, and I'm hoping you can help me with something I've been experiencing. I have a strong longing for a particular location. My dad was stationed there while in the service and talked of this place many times when I was a child, and I longed to go there even at a young age. I bugged my parents for years to take me, and I was finally able to go when I was about 19. It was even more wonderful than I imagined. It felt comfortable. I knew where things were, even though I I'm directionally challenged. My dad and I visited a hotel he had spoken of many times, and I started to cry for some unknown reason. I've been back several times and always felt the same. It's now been many, many years since I was there, and lately the longing has been extremely strong. I think about it all the time. I play this type of music and paint pictures of this location. For years, I've had pictures of it on my screensaver, on all my devices. I feel as though it calls to me and it makes me happy, but other times it makes me sad because I'm unable to go back at this time in my life. What do you think this is? Is this simply an affinity for a particular place? Could this be a past life? Years ago, I joked about it being a past life, but now I'm actually considering it. I've been hesitant to have a past life regression as I've heard it can be traumatic, and I really have no desire to hear about anything other than this. Could a psychic be able to tell me what this might be. I thank you both for your help and for being such a blessing in my life. I've had places like that, haven't you, where you've just felt a drawn? And that's one of yes. my favorite memories about my father is he was in the service and he would, I can remember, he would talk about all the different places in the world he had been. And I would just be mesmerized when he would talk about, you know, seeing the the Straits of Gibraltar and and being in the Far East, and he had been all over the world. And it just, I, I can even to this day remember being so, so mesmerized by those stories. And, and again, some of the stories would really touch me. I think, oh, I want to see that. I want to experience that. But what this listener is saying is bringing it even to a deeper level when you have a, a physical reaction and longing for a specific place. If you get into astrocartography, which is kind of, I I think is very fascinating, is where there's certain places on the planet that we can experience different things based on our birth chart. And if you're interested in that, you can go to astro.com and they have a free chart you can do. And it's, it's fun because it will show you where love or money or this, and there are people who do astrocartography type readings. So maybe that would give this person some insight. 
Also, with uh, if we want to tie in the past life regression, the way that I've learned this and what I've experienced is you set an intention before you go into the regression, and it's going to lead you to what your soul is going to say you need to, to know for an answer. So if you went into the regression with the, I have to go to this place and get my answer, it may present in a different way than actually going to that specific place. Do you have any place like that that you're really drawn to? Yeah, I do. It's For me, it's always been England. And I never knew really where in England, but often I dream about being in England. And then maybe six years ago, I started watching Doc Martin. Great Mm -hmm. show if no one's tried it. And when I looked at the scenery there, I was like, that's the place. That's the place I've been dreaming of. And it's right around Cornwall. So I've always felt a pull to there um, that I don't understand. I've always felt that it's like my home. Again, I I've been to maybe five countries, never England. So I, I don't know why that hasn't worked out. But I've had the opposite as well. Um, after grad school, I moved to Arizona for about six months. And I did not like Phoenix or Mesa. That's where we lived. And it was the weirdest thing, Denise, because it's the most beautiful place I think I've ever been. The people were so incredibly kind. I loved everything about it, but I didn't like the place. When we would go to Sedona or Flagstaff or New Mexico, I was like, oh, this feels good. Like I loved it there. But in Phoenix and Mesa, I just felt weird. Like I didn't belong there. It was, I've never felt that so strongly before. And about 12 years later, I was getting a reading from one of my intuitive development teachers. And she was just learning how to do trans-channeling. And she kind of went into the zone and she was telling me about a past life I had like centuries ago where I was one of the first peoples living in Mesa, Arizona. And I was not like the shaman, but I was the seer or dream interpreter. I don't know. And people didn't like the messages I was bringing through. And so a group of them killed me. Now, she had no idea that I'd lived in Arizona and in Mesa uh, particularly. And I just found that really odd. Like, was that weird reaction I had to that area connected to that? I I don't know. So I think it's important to look at places you feel drawn to, but also places that just don't really resonate with you at all. And and I do think it's connected to a past life. I, I really do. Or, you know, who knows? Let's go down the rabbit hole, Denise. It could be connected to a future life. Or there's something from that place that you need to experience. For this lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, she says years ago, I joked about it being a past life. I think that's important too, because it sounds like before she was open to these concepts, she kind of even back then considered it. And so I think it's important to look at those, at those clues because if she thought back then, Hmm, is this a past life thing? And the fact that she knew where stuff was in that town Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. If she hadn't been there, unless her father had given her such amazing descriptions, but it doesn't sound like it. Oh, please. Uh, I lived in a town for seven years as a kid. We moved away from there when I was 12. And I took my family back there a couple of years ago. And Denise, I could not drive myself around without GPS. <laughs> like I forgot <laughs> so much. It was crazy. So I don't know. What do you, do you think she should consider a regression? 
Well, the, I was just reading the last part of, I heard it can be traumatic and have really no desire to hear about anything other than this. So again, that goes back to if you're only hoping to get information about that one specific time frame and to go into it with that mindset, it might be difficult if you don't get exactly what you're looking for. What I've experienced with the people I've been blessed to work with with this type of thing is it's a very healing experience rather than traumatic. Yeah, I agree. Even when the memories are difficult, it's still a healing experience. Right. Yeah. She can also ask to have those memories rise to her surface in her dreams as well. Yes. A lot of us can have retrocognitive dreams where we remember past lives or aspects of our past lives. So something I like to do is I have a little bag of crystals that help me remember my dreams and I will write a question on a piece of paper and put it in that bag and just slip it under my pillowcase. It does take time. It's not, if you go to a past life regression is you're going to get at least one answer, if not many more within that session right away. Whereas with dream work, it takes a little bit more time. It usually takes me about a week to two weeks after I put my question under my pillow to receive an answer, but it's just another suggestion. Yes. Okay. Our next question is um, a little bit longer, so bear with me, but I think it's an important one. Hi, Samantha and Denise. I want to start off by saying the tone of your podcast brings me so much comfort. So thank you both. I am in Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program. And I've noticed that your podcast for me overlaps with my program work so much. The last few shows in particular have aligned so well with my current reality. And I know this is not a coincidence. I recently listened to your Hayoka Empath episode, and it really resonated with me. Before I started practicing my Al-Anon program, I definitely criticized behavior I saw as wrong or hurtful by pointing the finger and angrily telling people what they were doing was wrong, even if they were only hurting themselves. I would call that holding up a magnifying glass to them and not a mirror. Since I was a teenager, I have been told I'm intimidating and assertive by people older than me. My ego was quite large. And frankly, I lacked humility. I really thought I could teach people lessons and change them. It became too emotionally overwhelming for me, and a loving understanding of others was fading, making it harder for me to live in peace. Two years into Al-Anon, and I've learned new ways of interacting with myself and others. For instance, I now know that when I'm in an uncomfortable situation, I have the choice and ability to walk away. I have the presence of self to know what my feelings are and allow myself to feel accepted by them, but not to use them against others or to become a slave to them myself. I've also learned that I can only speak about my experience and not point the finger at others. These may seem like simple actions to take for many, but growing up in a dysfunctional family for a sensitive empath like myself made it hard for me to hone my empathic skills. My family isn't good at communicating their, their feelings. Anger is our go-to emotion. Criticism is our go-to form of communication. It was a chaotic home filled with hot tempers and loud voices. I must disclose, though, that it wasn't all bad. I come from a loving home in many other ways. Plus, we all have a great sense of humor, which is something I really love about myself and them. I now understand my family could only teach me what they know. And I think they're all just as sensitive as I am, actually. The only difference is that I'm allowing myself to find help and now hone my empathic skills to better myself. 
I do believe that my honesty can be my my biggest asset and shortcoming. However, today I'm learning how to be more of a mirror to others instead of that magnifying glass. I don't know what I'm really trying to say other than share my perspective and experience in this world with you all. I guess I'm showing you the unglamorous side of the Hyoka empath. That's easy for me to do, but hard for me to sit with at times because not many people like to be this honest with themselves. And I can easily judge myself for my shortcomings and even second guess myself. However, every day I put effort in working on my confidence and replacing my fear and anger with trust, compassion, and faith. Luckily for me, I have your podcast, my ever-evolving spirituality, and my Al-Anon fellowship and step work to allow myself to be honest and humble and to quiet my ego. Thank you for taking time to read this. It got kind of long. My apologies. You two are such a light for me. Thank you for creating this community. And that's from Annalise. Well, Annalise, I want you to write a book. Isn't she a great writer, Denise? Very much so. I mean, that that is just so beautifully written. And I I love, I I agree with everything she says. I, I think I've been on every step of that journey myself. I know growing up in a dysfunctional family, I often felt that I was teaching people when I would point out their failings. You know, I, I totally resonate with what she's saying. And, and the fact that she has made that distinction of holding up a mirror versus holding up a magnifying glass, that is huge. And it sounds to me like she has learned so much wisdom and grace in this journey. And I like also the way she points out that her family is probably also empathic. And I think that's so true. Often in dysfunctional families, they are empathic. And because they were never given permission or told how to encourage and embrace their empathy, and because so many people in dysfunctional families were ridiculed for being sensitive, that empathy gets turned into anger and criticism. But she also says, you know, my my family wasn't all bad. We had a lot of love and humor. And I think that's so important. And again, shows so much of Annalise's wisdom because nothing is all bad or all good. No family is all bad or all good. And when you can get to that point of true compassion and understanding and acceptance, that's really only when you can see all sides of yourself and a situation. So um, I don't know, when she says, she wanted to show us the unglamorous side of the Hyoka empath. Nothing about this email is unglamorous to me. It, it all just seems incredibly wise and deep. I agree. The, the one line that really jumped out at me is, I do believe that my honesty can be my biggest asset and shortcoming. And that's indicative that she really is doing the work and the 12-step work of owning it and saying, and being very brutally honest, which people don't like. People don't usually uh, want someone to be as direct and honest and forthcoming because then you can't hide. And I, I love this. I love this story. I love, and I agree. Very, very good writer. But equally, letting go of the self judgment and accepting people for who they are is what we're all working on right now. Or trying yes. to, I think. Yeah. Don't you think a lot of people don't appreciate true honesty? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I've always kind of joked and said, if we could ever have a day where everybody just acted like a three-year-old and was just very honest and direct, 
that they're not three-year-olds aren't mean. They're just very honest in people, but they'll tell you, your breath is smelly, or I don't like that dress, or why are you acting that way? They're not doing it to be, they're just being so direct and honest. If we could all treat each other that way, not with, I mean, have have kindness and, and temperate, but uh, truly, I, I just think that this is an incredible thing for this person to share because it is the direction we're all trying to go. Yeah. And, and the humor part, I get that because that's what I grew up with is, you know, all this stuff in my family of origin. And, and you do, if, if you can hide it behind humor, which is a tool I still use to this day, it sometimes somehow makes it easier to navigate that, that dysfunction at times. Yeah. And it's, it's a careful balance though. You know, my sisters always say, if our family were a sitcom, we'd be like a number one TV show because if you look (laughs) at it, if you look at it that way, it's really comical. And I, I agree with them, but sometimes, you know, when my mom pulls out something out of her little tool bag of tricks and is mean, uh, my sister will go, it's a sitcom, Samantha. And, and that, that's her, her clue of like, I just want to move past this. I don't want to dive Mm -hmm. into it and analyze it and discuss it. Like you always want to. And I get that, but I I think it's a balance, you know, like you've got to deal with the difficult parts of being a sensitive empath with humor sometimes, but also with raw honesty. So sometimes we need that mirror. Sometimes we do need that magnifying glass. And being able to differentiate between the two. Yeah which is hard and only comes with wisdom and time. Yes. I'll, I'll tell you, and you know, we got to move on to the next question, but when I first moved to the South, I was a road rager, uh, not embarrassed to admit that. And what shocked me the most about driving in this town is nobody beeps their horn. It's just not a Southern thing to do. Well, I do. Well, I don't anymore, but back then I made healthy use of my horn and I was driving around town one day and my friend said to me, why do you keep beeping their, your horn? And I was like, well, I feel like I need to teach people. I mean, that person in front of me was literally sitting at that stop, that red light for 30 seconds. I had to beat my horn to let them know, hey, time to go, look up, get back to reality. And she said, that's not really your job. You have to just surrender. Like when someone is in front of you, you're not in control. Oh, Denise, in my 20s and 30s, how I resisted that. (laughs) And just the other day, I was driving with my kids and I was behind someone and the light turned red and I just sat there and I listened to the music on the radio. And I, my daughter, who's a lot like I was back then, was like, mom, if you don't beep your horn to wake up this person, I'm going to reach over and beep it for you. (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And eventually the person, you know, looked up and and they kept going, but, oh, it took me a long time to get there. So I think all of this is not an overnight thing. And we have to be gentle with ourselves because I look back on old road rager me and I just want to apologize to everyone on the road around me. (laughs) Well, I I still live in in the part of the country where road rage is kind of an accepted. I don't do it like I used to. No, I used to get very animated and now I... I don't, but you know, I, I got pulled over one time. I was not speeding and the, the police officer pulled me over and I was like, sir, do you mind if I ask why you pulled me over? And he said, aggressive weaving. Oh, I said, that's a thing. 
I'm like, I'm just passing slow cars, but I wasn't speeding. And he's like, "Mm -hmm. it's aggressive weaving, license and registration. I was like, oh my. Yeah. Huh. Were you using your directional? Yes. Okay. That's a big I was just like, I was like, um, you know, Mario on the Nintendo game. I was just weaving (laughs) in and out of all the slow drivers. I still don't think slow drivers should be in the left lane. That that will never leave me. If it's, if the speed limit's 55 and you're going 45, God bless you, but you got to get in the right lane. I agree. For safety. Yes. Okay. So clearly I still work on some of my road rage issues. I I promise (laughs) I've gotten through most of them. (laughs) Well, that's a beautiful transition to our next one. Uh, Hi, ladies. I'm so thankful for you and your podcast. I just got a reading at a holistic fair I went to. I've been looking forward to this fair for six months. I sat down with a lady I wanted to get a reading from, and then my timer went off on my phone. I'd placed a timer on my phone for another reading I had already booked and wouldn't have time to do the reading of the lady whose table I was currently at. I apologized immediately as I informed her that I had another scheduled reading to get to and I wouldn't have enough time, but I'd like to come back to her. She was polite and understood. I should have taken my timer as my intuition telling me to stay away. Long story short, I went back. At the end of the reading, I felt like I needed to get some bad juju off of me. She told me in not so many words several times that my husband's cheating on me. She was a little dramatic about it too. I had a pit in my stomach and still do. How do I get this reading off of me, my aura, and any advice on reading like this? I don't feel like it's good ethics during a reading. I feel like everything should be for higher good. What's your take on readings that go sideways? Help, please. Love you, ladies. Thank you, Christy. What immediately wants to come out of my mouth is no, no, no. <laughs> and that sounds judgy pie, and I don't mean it that way, but that's not cool. That is not cool to plant that seed with someone. And that's why you and I have been both so adamant in the classes we teach in our own personal work of, you know, empower the person that you're reading for, not to the exclusion of making it all, you know, lemon drops and, and rose petals, but it is always any kind of intuition, intuition, divination, psychic is subject to change in free will. And it's the energy you're reading at the moment to plant that seed about infidelity. There are tactful ways you can bring that up that are not going to, to leave someone. We have no right to do that as readers or as human beings. And I, I have never, ever advocated for someone to get out of a situation unless they were in danger. If you're, if the red flags or someone has come right out and said to you during the reading, I'm in danger or this is happening, that's a completely different story. But I, my, my own personal side with this type of a reading, it's coming from a place of ego and not service. And it kind of pisses me off a little bit. Oh, it pisses me off a lot. One thing I want to mention is, you know, Deb and I have looked into some of the metaphysical affairs in our state. There's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, usually if you want to be a reader at a metaphysical store, at least the ones that I'm connected with in this town, you have to give several readings to the owner of the store and some of the workers so that they can vet you. Whereas at metaphysical fairs, if you just pay the fee to rent the table, there you go. You're going to do readings that day. So that's something I think you should consider as well. You know, it's not like just because they're there, it doesn't mean they've been vetted as greater, authentic, or ethical. Also, if our job as a reader is to 
show people the choices that are coming their way. I do not believe any reader's job is to predict the future. I just don't. I think our job is to show them the crossroads that are coming up or that they're dealing with now and to show them the options they have, not to say definitively anything that is happening because you don't know. I I did a reading recently for a woman and I kept seeing all my symbols for infidelity. Was I going to say, hey, I think your husband's cheating on you? No, of course not. I just said to her, I feel like there are some communication issues going on in your home. I feel like there might be some secrets that need to be explored or discussed. And she said, my husband is addicted to porn. Well, Mm -hmm. that taught me that for me and my guides, now that porn addiction is coming through as the same symbol as infidelity. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think watching porn is the same as committing infidelity. And so if I had said to her, oh, your husband is cheap, that that would have been an, an infallacy. So right. it just really bothers me when when readers just take I, I know I know some readers, if they see certain tarot cards, you know, like the uh, Ten of Swords or the Three of Swords, they'll say, Oh, that's my card for cheating. So who's cheating on you? You cannot right. do that. So right. anyway, her her main question was, um, you know, how can she shake that energy? And I think there's a couple of things she can do. I would recommend a cord cutting exercise where she just visualize a cord between her and this reader, but also another visualization where she visualizes a cord between her and this image of her husband cheating, because that's Mm -hmm. hard to shake too. Right. Have you ever, okay, this is a common thing in pregnancy. I don't know if you've had this, Denise, but I know I had this and I know all my pregnant friends had this too. It's very common when you're like eight or nine months pregnant to have recurring dreams that your husband is cheating on you. Okay. Did you know that? I I, I actually read I didn't that. Know that. No. And I would wake up with some of these dreams and I would look at him like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> because the emotion would be so palpable from the dream. I can only imagine it's got to be similar if you come home from a reading where someone claiming to be this amazing psychic says so emphatically, I mean, that's got to linger in the energy and affect the relationship, at least for that day. So I would Mm -hmm. recommend cutting cords between you and that image or emotion connected to that idea that your partner is cheating on you. There's something else you can do that I think is really great is just create a psychic protection grid. Very, very simple. You just take a picture of yourself where you look happy and smiling, um, photocopy, print it out, or just draw your name on a piece of paper with your birthday, put it in the center of a circle, put a, a tall black or brown stone on top of that and surround it with crystals um, that symbolize protection to you, like hematite, black tourmaline, onyx, tiger's eye, and, and charge it up to protect your aura from any negative influences, energies, thoughts, and emotions from within or without. That's great advice. Our next question says, had to send a little note to say thank you for last week's episode about being careful with what you say. I really needed to hear that message. As I've been exploring and growing on my little path of spirituality, I've known all along that I needed to stop the negative self-talk because my words and thoughts really do have power. I've had the mouth of a sailor for as long as I can remember. 
And like Denise, I've also been a teacher before and never had any issues slipping up in front of ever, anyone. So I know I can control it. I suppose it's just up to me to make it a priority out of respect to myself. I absolutely love the author's suggestion about using flip instead of the F word. I agree that fricking is more annoying than actually saying it, but flip works so much better because it really will hopefully snap me out of whatever's causing me to say it in the first place. I'm a Virgo sun and a Gemini moon, so Mercury is my ruling planet, and I've noticed that communication can be one of my biggest challenges. Since the throat chakra is blue, I often wear my grandmother's turquoise ring with the intention to have more control of my mouth. But are there any other stones or crystals that you like to work with for this? Well, that's a great question. And yes, there are some great stones. I think wearing your grandmother's ring is, is a wonderful idea. But in general, for working with communication, we want to go with light blue stones to match the throat chakra, which is where communication is, is governed and held. So if you could find a necklace of light uh, blue lace agate or blue chalcedony, angelite, blue kyanite, blue calcite, that's going to work just as well, um, maybe even better than, than a ring because it'll be right on your throat chakra. So any light blue stone, my favorite for that is blue lace agate or angelite, but really any, any light blue stone that you're drawn to is going to help with that. However, someone else just sent me an article who listened to that show, Denise, and the article was talking about swearing, and it was saying that studies show that people who swear are not only more intelligent, but they also tend to be more in touch with their, their truth. They tend to be more honest and more authentic. So maybe there's some good aspects to swearing. I don't know. <laughs> So what about blue topaz? Oh, that's a great one. Yes. Okay. I was just thinking of the, the different colors of blue and, and how that clarity. Yeah, that makes sense as far as the, matching the, the color of your throat chakra. Yeah. And it's nice if you can get like a shorter necklace so that it, it really, that little dip in your, in your throat between those two bones. I'm trying to remember the names of them. It's leaving my head. <laughs> anyway, that's right at the center of your of your throat chakra. So if you could get a short chain so that the stone falls right in that dip, that'd be really perfect. That's great. Hi, ladies. I'm a full-time reader, and I'm also in an intuitive development group. We meet each month to develop our skills or work on prayer intentions. Recently, however, we've all been feeling so much anxiety fear, nagging worries, and even physical symptoms for a few of us like nausea or sore throats. It's gotten so bad that a few of us are thinking of taking a break from readings. Are you guys feeling this too? And if so, what are you doing about it? I've been feeling all of those things for the last several months and uh, certain to the point where I've been much more conscientious about protecting myself, paying more attention to my physical body to see, is there a correlation between what I'm feeling and, and with specific, you know, readings or information that's coming through. I've said this so, so many times, and I apologize for that, but I do believe that our, each of us as individuals are building a stronger connection to that collective unconscious. And that's part of this. There's a big shift happening right now. And as empaths, especially, and then if you're doing 
um, any type of spiritually based work or connecting with other people's auric fields or doing energy work or massage or Reiki, I think it's even more intensified right now. Something's going on. I don't know. Without a doubt. I don't know what is going on. I don't know if it's a battle over, you know, good forces and bad forces, but something is going on. And I think we are all feeling it, whether you identify as an empath or not. I think we're all feeling that. And it's, it's intense. And it's not, I kept thinking when the world started to open up, I kept thinking, oh, phew, now that intense energy is going to start to dissipate. And it really hasn't. You know, no. it, it really hasn't. My my good friend who just got a new job and she just moved and made this huge new leap in her life. And I called her, how's it going? How's the new everything? And, and she said, you know, I thought this would fix everything, but I still feel this emptiness inside and I can't get away from it. And so many people I'm talking to are feeling this this emptiness, like something is missing, like there's a disconnect, that there's something wrong. And I think that's leading to this anxiety and fear and, and these nagging worries that she mentioned in this email. And, and I do want to point out that this is one of dozens of emails Denise and I have received basically asking the same question. I didn't include the person's name here. Unless they give me permission, I don't include names, but it's not just you. You know, I think we are all feeling this. And I shared this dream I had, um, I think, on the Psychic Teachers podcast, but I'll, I'll share it briefly here again. In April of 2020, I had this very powerful dream that I was walking through this huge cathedral. And if I could describe the size of this cathedral, it to me, it felt that it was bigger than the entire earth. It was huge. And I was walking with this gentleman. I He was not my guide. He didn't feel like a guide. He felt like another person. And he was giving me a tour of the cathedral. And up in the back was this huge organ that was playing this amazing celestial music. And we walked up this ornate, huge staircase. And there was this room. And it said closed for further notice. But he opened up the door. And inside were all these filing cabinets. And there were labels on all the drawers, pictures anything you could imagine, smiley faces, sad faces, uh, pictures of people working together, working alone, pictures of families sitting in a park, of everything you could imagine. And in each drawer was a, was a key that you would put into the organ to add to the music. And he just shook his head and closed the drawers and guided me out of that room and down the hall into what I can only describe as like an enormous cafeteria. And there were just millions of people sitting at these cafeteria tables. And there were baskets and baskets on each of these tables of empty blank keys and baskets of paints, markers, pencils, pens. And he said, we've entered a new time. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, every night our souls come here and we choose a key to program the music that the universe sings. But everything is shifting now, and we have to create our own keys so that we can help contribute to the collective song that the universe sings. So I don't know. I always took that as a symbol, an image. I don't know if it's literal what we souls do every night, but it just felt very profound to me that something is shifting 
where we're kind of off the grid in terms of following a a path. And we've entered this liminal time as the universe where we get to choose individually and collectively what this world is going to look like. And and that's why I say it almost feels like like a battle between good and bad is going on right now. And I thought that's an amazing dream. Thank you for sharing that because I think it'll help a lot of folks. And what's been helping me on a personal level is to make sure that I'm taking care of myself, having quiet time, getting outside, drinking enough water. Uh, and, And I ask myself a lot, is this mine? And sometimes it takes me a while to get to that place because, you know, you're talking with a lot of folks and is that mine to own? Is it somebody else's? But I think with all of the physical symptoms, it's really, really, really important that you uh, take care of yourself emotionally, physically, and spiritually right now. I agree. And, and I think you have to ask yourself, what do I do when I lose time? You know, those activities where you're, you're not cognizant of time. Mm-hmm. Normally through this pandemic, when I try to do something relaxing, I've had a hard time relaxing. I'll still be thinking about my to-do list. I'll still be thinking about, like, I've got a daughter with a permit. Have I taken her driving this week? No, I haven't. Did I get my other daughter's oil changed in her car? No, I haven't. Oh, my oldest daughter, we need to do back to school stuff. Like my mind is just going, going, going. In addition to all this intense emotion that you were just talking about, but there are a few things I can do. Um, Like exercise has been helping me a lot. Um, doing anything creative, but but for you all, it might be something totally different. But anything you can think of where your monkey mind slows down is going to be really, really helpful. But I also think to get through this time, we just have to be there for each other. Yes. You're spot on about shutting the monkey mind off. That helps immensely. Okay. Our next question says, you all are the best. Wow. How's that, Denise? <laughs> <laughs> And bring so much knowledge and love to the world. Thank you for that. I feel like I have learned so much from you. The question I have is about the term download. I've heard this term used a lot, and I'm not quite sure what it means, especially when people say, I've been getting a lot of downloads lately. How does the download occur? What does it feel like or look like? How do you know if you're having a download? I often see images that I would like to paint when I meditate or that just pop into my head. Is that a download or is it just part of my creativity? That's such a great question. And when I first got this email, Denise, I was like, "Mm, I don't think I can answer this in writing. I need to really think about this and I need Denise's input because that's a hard one to explain. I do think it's going to be different for everyone. I agree that when she sees images that she would like to paint when she meditates, I think that's an example of a download. Sometimes if I am ruminating on a problem, a situation, a question, and I go for a walk or I sit in a hot bath, the, the, the answer will just come to me. I call that a download. Other times, I won't be thinking about anything. I'll just be washing the dishes or um, reading a book, and I'll hear that. I I either hear a ringing in one ear or a total absence of sound in both ears. And I know that's a download. And I know that in the next couple of days, something is going to come to me. 
whether it's an idea, something I want to write about, or um, an internal nudge to call someone, reach out to someone, or do a random act of kindness. That's, that's what I call a download. Other times I'll have this feeling, and again, I, I really struggle with words for this. It's almost like deja vu, but I'll just be doing something throughout my day and I'll get that weird deja vu feeling, but it's not deja vu. It's that download. It's this experience of, oh, that's what I need to be doing, or that's what this meant, or it's just this type of understanding that clearly I have a hard time putting into words, but those are how downloads work for me. How about for you? Yes. you Very, very, very helpful description with the way you explain that, because that's how it works for me as well. I also find that they're more random. They're not anything I'm concentrating on. So it'll come in out of left field. For me, a download is when I wake up at three or four in the morning and grab the pen and just start writing and it pours out of me and it's not my words. That's a download. If I'm trying to figure out a solution to a, a problem and I'm, and you know, the light switch feeling, like all of a sudden you're thinking, well, maybe this, this, and then all of a sudden out of left field, you get this impression of, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that before? I think that that's spirit's way of, of helping us out. I get the ringing in my ear. I've never had the total lack of, of sound, but I do get the ringing in my ear, which I've heard for a long, long time is a connection with spirit as far as they're, they're giving you a download. I think that I personally, I think the download and the creativity kind of go hand in hand. Haven't you ever been working on a project and you can't quite get it or you're, and you're an artist, so you would get this. Uh, and then all of a sudden you try a different stroke or color or something, and you don't know why you're doing it, but it really changes the whole essence of the project. Yes. So I, that's kind of where I see the, the creativity and the download blending together. Yeah, I, I agree. Think- and it can come in different ways. You know, it can come as a download. It can come as a dream. It can come as what people might call a spark of an idea. But I think we're all talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then I wonder, maybe they're right. I don't know. You know, where does everything come from? Right. It's all that connection to spirit. Now, I have gotten what you could call downloads or nudges or ideas that I've ignored. And in my experience, if you ignore a download, that's not going to work either. Oh, it'll come back. It'll come back. It'll come back. It'll come back. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll get an idea and I'll be like, "Mm, I'll work on that later. And then whatever I'm working on now will just not come to fruition until I work on that idea. Sometimes I'll just get a nudge to uh, stop doing something, you know, like, especially I've been working a little too hard this summer and I keep getting this little nudge. I, don't, I guess it's really not a download, just, just this little nudge of, you know, you got to slow down. And I'm like, mm-hmm, later. And then my computer will blink out. My printer won't, will stop working. Or, uh, you know, someone will will cancel an appointment. So I have that time. So I think it's really not anything we have to, I don't want to say we have to worry about, but I think when you get these downloads, these nudges, these pushes, I, I don't think there's anything you have to do or not do because they're just gifts. And our only job is to accept it. Right. And, and I'm not saying all 
downloads are airy fairy woo 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 but it, if you're be, be conscious of if you're getting a lot of negative stuff it, are you coming from a fear-based place and it's not about it downloads to me or you may get some information that's unsettling but it's not going to be how do how what words do i want for that i'm not quite sure yeah it, it it will be more matter of fact it won't be specific to you it might be a download that's for the collective for all of us of you know be more conscious of so i think i guess this is an odd example but when all the people had the dreams about the catastrophes before 9/11 they were tapping into that collective energy it hadn't happened and people were having so many dreams were they getting a download as a warning right exactly so I, I think just sometimes we can get into it's a choice, but if you're coming from too negative negative a place and you're you're equating those to downloads, be careful of that. Okay, our next one. I I've recently discovered or come to understand that I'm an empath. Many of your podcasts have helped me gain self knowledge. The show about narcissist. Wow, I married an alcoholic wife years ago and ended in divorce. The show helped me to accept more of what I learned about and experienced through those years. I really appreciate your teaching. I'm now a hospice chaplain and am much more in touch with who I am more than ever in my life. Thank you again. And this is why, well, personally, why I think we do the show is to let each other know that we're all in this together. And we've we've so many people have had similar experiences or backgrounds or completely different, but as humans, as empaths, as sensitives, to hear other people's stories. So I'm so glad this person reached out to us. Me too. And and I think it just validates for all of us that, you know, sometimes I resist labels. Well, often I resist labels. You know, I think it's important for all of us to kind of resist labels that we were given as kids or that we're given now or that we give to ourselves. However, I think sometimes when we have a word for what we've been dealing with, whether you call it a label or or a term, it's so freeing. It's so eye-opening and it helps us to process the trauma and challenges we've been through. And if our little podcast has been any point of service along that path of your awakening, you know, I, I, we're just so honored. So we thank you for that. I agree. And I also thank you to this person for doing that very sacred work of being a hospice chaplain, because that's a huge comfort and solace and service to people who are in transition and passing and their families. Yes. Um, Before we wrap up, Denise, I just want to mention a review we got on our podcast that has um, really hurt my heart. and, And I just, I really want to emphasize that sometimes when I say things on this podcast, they come off in ways I did not intend. So I guess recently we were talking about how I feel that empaths are so tuned into social cues. And I was really shocked when I learned that everyone else isn't tuned into those social cues. And someone who has autism said, you know, that, excuse me, that that really hurt them because as an autistic person, they're not able to tune into those cues. 
And I just read that and thought, oh my gosh, I did not mean that to come out the way it did. When I, when I said I'm shocked that other people aren't tuned into that, I didn't mean it in a judgy way, like I'm so shocked other people can't see what I see. I meant as a developing empath intuitive who has always felt weird and fringe and as though no one understood me. That was one of the things that made me feel weird and on the outside was that other people didn't see those things I was seeing. I, I did not mean it as a judgmental, like everybody should see these social cues. And I just wanted to, to point that out because I have a very good friend who's on the spectrum. And if I ever said anything that hurt anybody, I just want everyone to know that is never my intention. I'm always just trying to explain things from how I came into the understanding and how really what I thought I was saying when I was saying that was that I was always judging myself. Like, oh, aren't you weird for seeing those subtle things that that other people around you aren't seeing? And I was just trying to help other empaths who might also feel weird for picking up on things that others don't. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I've known you long enough. I know you would never come from a place of judgment or malice about someone else's way of navigating their life. No, never my intention. And I just felt so bad when I read that because we don't do this show from notes. Like we're just speaking off the cuff. And sometimes I think my intention and my tone might be misread. And and, and that just, I just felt very, very sorry that that person read that as, um, you know, I don't know if an attack against autism would be appropriate, but I just felt really bad because totally not my intention. I was trying to say that it, it always made me feel weird that I picked up on, you know, the, the hidden emotions of others. It never made me feel special or cool. And I just feel like so many of our listeners have also felt that sense of, you know, why am I the only one feeling this? Does that make me weird? Or am I making this up? And so I was trying to come at it from that place. But you can be an empath and not pick up on social cues. So there's so many different kinds of empaths, which I think is so wonderful. And, and that's the point of our podcast is to be inclusive and welcoming to all and create a community for all the types of empaths we are, and that we can really hold each other up and support each other up in whatever way we can. And that's always, I think, my intention and our, and our intention and hope for this show. Yes, I agree completely. Very much so. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, remember, if you want to share a question or story, you can always email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail, or Facebook us on Enlightened Empaths. If you're interested in signing up for our Mediumship 101 class, you can email us at enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, and we'll send you some information on how to do so. And you are partnered up with someone new each week to explore and understand your mediumship abilities and learn how to connect to the other side. You'll learn how to connect with departed loved ones, animal guides, spirit guides, and so much more. Each class is recorded and taught live over Zoom and emailed to you the next day. You get a lot of handouts. You get a lot of guided meditation MP3s and access to our private Facebook group for our mediumship students so you can keep connecting and meeting with like-minded people. We hope you'll join us for that class. Everybody have a great week. Please remember as always to show up, 
Do great work and share your light. Take care.